gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David by the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the Reformation that happened beginning about 500 years ago. Help us to continue to lift up your gospel. In your name we pray, amen. I took the opportunity to prepare for this Sunday by rereading Justo Gonzalez's chapters on Martin Luther in volume two of the story of Christianity. And a few things stood out to me that, of course, I'd heard and read before, but seemed very appropriate. So a little over 500 years ago, before Martin Luther wrote the 95 Theses, he was an Augustinian monk. And even though he was a good monk, and he did all of his discipline, and all of his confessing, and all of his worshiping and studying, he found that he feared and even hated God. Why? Because he was afraid that God was going to throw him into hell for not being good enough. He was terrified of this. He had become a monk to assure himself of his salvation. But it didn't work. <clears throat> Nothing Luther did could relieve him of his fear and his anger toward God. Apparently, the relationship we have with our parents affects our relationship with God. It can. Luther had a complicated relationship with his father. His father was successful, came from humble means, and scraped together money 
enough to send his son, Martin, to law school so that Martin could have a better life than he had. And even though his father scraped and sacrificed to do this, Luther didn't go. He didn't go to law school, and he became a monk because he wanted to save his soul. And his father did not approve of this. Also, we are told that when Luther was a young boy, he was very smart, but he didn't always behave well in school. And so he would receive beatings, beatings from his schoolmasters. And all of these hard relationships led Luther to a deep-seated feeling of inadequacy that translated toward fear and anger toward God. I wonder, do you ever have complicated feelings toward God? Sometimes I feel angry toward God. In our reading this morning for Leviticus, it says, For I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I think to myself sometimes, how can God be so holy with such terrible atrocities happening in our world? Especially in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, in other places close to home. We see on the news in Maine, violent acts. I get angry at God and I want to shake my fist at God and say, how can people do this in your name? And why don't you do something about it? Why don't you call for a ceasefire? And it makes me wonder, did Jesus ever get angry with God, his father? Did Jesus have a complicated relationship? We get a little bit of a hint of that in our gospel reading this morning. We know we don't hear a whole lot about uh, Jesus and his relationship with Joseph. We don't get a lot. We hear about the time when he was uh, like a teenager. He's like maybe 12 or 13, right? And he got left in Jerusalem for a few days uh, when, his, when his parents went with the family back to Nazareth. That, I don't think that could have been traumatic at all, being left alone for three days. Why don't we hear so much about Joseph? Some people wonder, maybe Joseph died when Jesus was a teenager, and that's why we don't hear a whole lot about him. And we also have to think about the fact that Jesus called God his father. So how did he get along with with Joseph? Was it like a stepfather relationship? Was it like an adopted father relationship? All we can do is wonder. And so in our reading this morning today, Jesus has this question about David. He says, how is it that David would say in scripture about his own son, call his own son Lord? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put my enemies under your feet. This was a prophecy about the Messiah that would come. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, why would David call his descendant, or his son, Lord. Of course, we know in the Ten Commandments, it says to honor your mother and your father. So the idea was that you would give honor upwards to the generation greater than you. So for David, David, the greatest king, the greatest king in the history of the Jewish people, 
he would call his own son Lord or his descendant? How would that work? And in fact, people still puzzle about this. One reason could have been that Jesus didn't identify as David's descendant. This is one possibility that people have thought about. Now think about it for a second. We believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. So if you take that very literally, Jesus might have been saying, I am not a descendant of David. But that's, I don't buy that. I don't buy that because if we look at the beginning of Matthew, there is a detailed lineage from father to son, from father to son, from father to son, and there's women in there too, um, that gets all the way down to Joseph, and then it says Joseph married Mary and had Jesus. So there's no reason to think that Joseph wasn't a true father to Jesus. Spiritually, lovingly, a true father. So I don't think that Jesus rejected that. Other people have speculated that the reason why David would call his descendant Lord was because when the Messiah came, the Messiah would be a greater king than David. And therefore, out of respect for this powerful kingship, David would call him Lord. Maybe, but then again, if you think about Jesus' kingship, compared to, you know, what most kings are like throughout history, it's just so different. The day Jesus became a king was the day that he was crucified. His throne was a cross. He died the same day he was coronated, and his, and his crown was thorns. Paul even says in the Bible that this is foolishness to most of the world, and that's the point. So then we're left to wonder, why would David call his son, his descendant Jesus, Lord, when his kingship was so different? I think, in my opinion, the reason why David called Jesus Lord was because if grace is true, if we're saved by grace, then every human being is our Lord. We are subject to the care and well-being of all people, especially our enemies. Luther, Martin Luther wrote that a Christian man and this and woman is the subject is the most excuse me is the most free lord of all and subject to none. And a Christian man and woman is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Martin Luther did not go on hating God forever. He had a breakthrough. He realized that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. God would not throw him into hell for a lack of faith. Luther discovered that God went to hell to get everyone out. And Jesus died on the cross who was innocent so that we would know that when others suffer, we should not see it as a punishment from God. 
but rather that God is there suffering with us so that we are never alone. The pain and the evil of this world are things that we are called to deal with by God's grace. Grace gives us strength to deal with these earthly problems. My own theology, the way that I understand God, has been greatly shaped by my parents, both my mother and my father. And since we're talking about fathers this morning, I'll share with you a specific memory I have. I remember being uh, in college and reading very difficult texts, going to a public university, taking philosophy classes, really being challenged, I mean, profoundly down, my theology being, you know, deconstructed, like you hear about, that happens in the university. And during the summers, before I would go work at camp, I would work for my dad, who is a house builder. Um, and after work one day, we were talking about philosophy and theology and who is God, given all these things that I've been reading and struggling with. And I remember my dad gesturing with his big hands, big hands in the mountains of Sedona, and he said, if you can't believe in anything else, just look at all of this, everything, the universe. At least you can see this, and at least you could say, this is God. This, all of this is God. And that has stayed with me through the years, even at times when I've been shaken and questioned and gotten angry at God, I can open my eyes and I can see God's creation. And I can feel God present in it. I think that once again, the church is in need of reformation. Today, we see a Christian church that goes out of its way to seek political power. It goes out of its way to seek wealth above all else, even at risk of losing the message of Jesus Christ. There are churches today that are large and powerful that build what they do based on deception. They lie to people and say that God will bless them with wealth and power if they have a strong enough faith. And similarly, many of these churches abuse people spiritually by saying that if you're down and out, if you have a disease, if you're struggling, it's because you have a lack of faith. Those same things were happening 500 years ago during the time of Luther. We need reformation again. People need to hear the good news. So this past week, I was visiting with a dear member of our church, and they had recently lost a loved one. And this, this loved one of theirs that was lost, their brother, didn't want a funeral. And in fact, this brother had said things that would indicate that maybe they questioned their faith. And that's difficult when you, when you lose a loved one like that. And so we were talking about this, and we were talking about grace. And how that God loves us even when our faith is shaken. That God's grace isn't dependent on our faith. Faith is all about just believing in, in God's grace. So whether our faith falters or not, God's grace is there. And as we talked about this, our, a dear member of our church, they had a moment of clarity. And they said, you know, even if there's not going to be a funeral or something for my brother, what I will do is I will write a letter. I will write a letter 
sharing the memories, the good memories I have of my brother, and I will send it to his family, to his surviving family. And I thought that this was a brilliant idea. And I just want to point out, do we all see, you can't really call it an irony, but this is the whole point. When we're troubled about spiritual things, eternal things, it affects the present moment. And so when we talked about God's salvation and grace being forever, it affected our dear members' actions in the present moment. So they took the time to write a letter to give to the survivors of their family member. They took action. And that reminds us that what we do in this life and the days that we have matters so much. This is God's home. And our concern should be for the living here and now. Jesus taught us this through his words and actions. When he was asked what is the most important law, commandment, he said it, that it was to love God and to love our neighbor. We do this because of grace. Grace makes our neighbor worthy of our love and respect. Grace encourages us to love God and not stay angry or afraid, but to love. And God loves us all the time. Surely on this Reformation Sunday, we remember that we are saved by grace. Amen.